Welcome to my podcast, Only Girl on the Job Site. I'm Renee Beery, an interior designer with a passion for managing construction projects, large and small. My mission is to empower women, both homeowners and interior designers, to manage renovation projects like a pro. My goal in sharing my knowledge and experience from working in the field for the past 29 years will allow you to avoid the mistakes I have seen and go into projects confident and knowledgeable about the industry so that your projects will be as smooth and as successful as possible. Today, let's talk all things contracts. I know this is a topic that gets people anxious, whether you're a homeowner or an interior designer. Every project needs contracts, but most people don't know how to read them, they don't know how to understand them, and they don't know where to question. And this topic has come up the past couple of weeks with my own clients, and I want to go over today how we handle it, how we approach it, and the best path forward. So let's get to it. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm glad you're here. Now, I know contracts can make people cringe. They don't want to think about them. That makes them anxious or overwhelmed. And I get that. And they're not intended to make you have those feelings, but you have them nonetheless. But here's the thing. You can't successfully run a any home renovation project, whether you're an interior designer or a homeowner, without contracts. Uh, sometimes it's multiple contracts with different subs. Sometimes it's one large contract and all of the subs are inside of that one contract. So yes, you can get a 14-page contract. And yes, that can be intimidating. Hell, it can be longer than 14 if you're building a home from the ground up. So this topic has been coming up lately with my own clients because I don't always build the teams that I work with on these projects. And so I am brought into the project as the consultant for the homeowner. And of course, the first thing I say is, can I see your contract? Now, as a homeowner, if you are considering working with an interior designer, I don't want you to think the wrong thing. I want you to understand that when I ask to see a contract, I don't really look at the bottom line. I've done this long enough. I know what the bottom line should look like. I'm actually looking at the details along the way. How did they build to that bottom line? So again, I've had clients kind of shy away like, ooh, I don't know, you know, do I really want to share that kind of personal information? And again, I will tell you that I am pretty good at gauging whether a project's going to cost you $100,000 or a million or two million or 10,000. So just put that aside. Know that you have hired an interior designer to be your confidant. And the only way they can advocate properly for you is if you trust them along the way. Because like I said, they pretty much know what you're spending anyway. They just want to make sure you're not overspending or that you're spending it wisely in the right places. So let me take a step back. Okay, so you have hired a team. Now, if you are a homeowner and you have hired a team that brings in their own subs, you're likely to receive one contract. Like I said, and the subs numbers will be inside that contract. 
I'll be honest, those contracts are a little harder to fully understand, even for me. As an example, I was just reviewing a client's contract that she had gotten from, I'll call it like a mid-size construction company, very reputable. So I wasn't assuming that there was anything wrong with it, but it drove me crazy that there'd be like a two sentence under electrical work and then a big number. And I'm thinking, no, no, I want to see a lot more detail as to how you derived that big number. And maybe they do it because they don't want to overcomplicate things. And that's fair. But here's the thing. You want to know where your money is going to right? I mean, of course you do. You don't just want to blindly, you know, write checks and hope everyone's going about it in the right way, in the way you would anticipate. So those contracts, I will forewarn you homeowners, are a little harder to decipher. Now, I shouldn't paint with a broad stroke. I am sure there are mid-sized contractors out there whose contracts are very detailed, very drawn out to the nth degree. So bravo if you have one of those. But the ones... I typically come across are sort of this two sentence, three sentence kind of broad, this is what we're doing, and here's the total. And you want to then push back and say, I'd like more details on this. What is this? Let's say it's electrical, and they're going to rework the electrical and install fixtures. And the number is, I don't know, for easy sake, let's say $2,000. Okay, so now I want to know how many fixtures are they reworking? How many fixtures are they installing? I'm assuming that this doesn't include the fixture price, but never assume. Go back and make certain. Make them write it in. Fixtures not included. This is important. It may seem trivial in the moment, but six months from now, when you're going through it and somebody's confused or somebody thought the fixtures were included, whether that's you, whether that's the contractor, it's crystal clear in the contract. Oh, right. I see it. I'm supposed to supply the light fixtures and he's installing six of them. And you go, oh, whoops, I only have four. So now you've got a clearer path forward and essentially creating a to-do list for yourself. So don't be afraid to ask for more clarity. And I know I hear people already thinking like, "Eh, I don't really want to rock the boat. I don't want to seem that person in the beginning of a project. I don't want to appear that I'm, you know, not trusting them. This really has nothing to do with trust. This is, I want more information so that I can fully understand what my role is, what your role is, and where they meet. That's really all this is about. And and trust me, the person writing that contract, if they were given that contract themselves and they were in your shoes, they'd be asking for more detail. So keep that in mind when you're asking. I mean, let's say this is a $50,000 investment. You can bet your bottom dollar that the person who wrote that estimate would surely ask a few questions if they were investing their own money in it. So do not be afraid to ask questions. I'm not saying ask them in an accusatory way, because yes, that could tip the scales in a direction you don't want. But you want to ask in a I don't understand way, because that's truthful, right? You really don't know. So like this contract I was reviewing, I was highlighting. I'm like, you need to go back. You need to ask them what this means. You need to ask, what does this include? You need to ask what it doesn't include, and on and on. It might take uh, an hour right? For that contractor to 
rewrite up because they have the supporting documents. It's not something that they're going to have to call the electrician and say, hey, Joe, how many light fixtures were you putting in? They have all of that in a separate estimate. So it's just simply transcribing it in more detail so that you can understand the path forward and quite frankly, what you're signing off on. Now, if you are creating the team, then you will likely get four, five, six, seven different contracts from the individual trades. And that actually, I think, is easier to understand. It's annoying to manage it differently and you're writing different people, different checks. Someone this percentage and upfront and someone this percentage. And you can negotiate all of that. If it's really sort of a little too complicated and you're worried you won't be able to keep up with it and might miss a payment, that's when you go and you say, listen, my contractor wants 50% down. Can I give you 50% down or whatever the conversation is that makes you comfortable both in how much money you're allocating at a time and when you're allocating it? Because missing a payment doesn't send the right message, obviously, and you want to be a proactive member of this team and stay on top of things. So you will have to kind of decipher all of these contracts. But again, if there's a question or God forbid you can't read their writing, because I have lots of contractors who hand write their proposals still. And there are times I'm like, I have no clue what this word is simply because it's chicken scratch. Don't assume, oh, it must say light because it's from the electrician. Don't assume that. You never want to just blindly go forward and hope that you were right. You just say to them, I am so sorry. I can't read your handwriting. Could you tell me what this says? Right? That is a legitimate, honest back and forth. He's probably heard it before, by the way. If you can't read his handwriting, chances are there are other clients who can't as well. And again, if something doesn't sound right, look right, or you don't get the gist of it, that's when you have to ask. And in this case, you can ask the actual subcontractor. And that is the one downside if you are hiring a team that brings in their own subs. You often don't have that direct contact with the subcontractor. Now, you can ask for it. Um, I would imagine most contractors would be open to that. Don't be stunned if some aren't. That may be just how they deal with their subcontractors. There are a lot of subs who just don't feel like dealing with the homeowner. So they would deflect and they would say, hey, you know, contractor, you call me. I'll tell you the answer. And then you you call the homeowner back. While that is a bit annoying, it may just be what works best. And if that's okay with you, then I would stick with that plan so long as you get the answers that you're looking for. Now, as an interior designer, you're going to come up against several different scenarios. You're going to be brought on like I was with this one contractor who was already in place. And it is advisable for you to ask for the contract and then review it. And then either the homeowner will want you to be the direct contact with the contractor or the homeowner will go back with any follow-up questions that come up as you're reviewing the contract. Now, if you are putting together the team, you're going to be the one collecting all of the subs. You're going to be doing the first pass at it. And quite frankly, that is an amazing value that a homeowner gets out of hiring an interior designer because by the time the contract is presented to the client, it is already scrubbed. 
right? We've already got all the questions worked out. Now there may be more questions that the homeowner has, but the big ones, the ones that are more glaring, like I did correct out of this other contract, they wouldn't even be presented to the homeowner until that clarification was received and possibly the contract updated. So there is a tremendous value in having an educated pair of eyes from an interior designer going over these contracts. Now, in this case, the homeowner said, I'm supposed to call them anyway. Give me the list. I'll go over it. If there's anything else, I'll circle back with you. And that's fine, right? So long as we get the answers to the questions we have, it really doesn't matter if the homeowner does it or if the interior designer does it. But more often than not, an interior designer is going to pick up on a deeper level of question because they're more accustomed to reading contracts, understanding the process, and knowing where there are some holes that really need to be filled before the contract is approved, signed, and deposits are made. So another part that I want to talk about contracts and something that I absolutely positively hate, and I don't say that often or lightly, is the term allowance. Now, an allowance is not what you think. It's not what you got as a kid for doing chores around the house. It's the opposite, actually. It is a best guess for a product that is needed for your project. So let's take an example of a bathroom. You're going to get an allowance for tile. You're going to get an allowance for plumbing fixtures. You're going to get an allowance for a vanity. You're going to get an allowance for decorative lighting. And decorative lighting is not the recessed lighting in the ceiling. It's the pretty stuff that typically is never included in a contract. So, okay, you think, well, all right, they're going to apply numbers. Well, they derive those numbers from formulas. Those formulas have nothing to do with you, have nothing to do with your taste, your style, your budget, literally nothing. It is a formula. And the reason they use formulas is because they have no clue what you're going to pick in advance. Here's the problem. The allowances almost never cover the cost of the end product that is selected. Hear me again. The allowances almost never cover the cost of the products that you will select to use in your project. So why do they use these allowance numbers? Because they need to fit something in so that you are thinking, oh, there's a cost for tile. Oh, there's a cost for plumbing fixtures. Now, it may seem obvious as you're listening to me, but as you're reading, say, a 10-page document, you may not thinking, gee, did they leave out tile? As you're trying to understand all of this other jargon along the way. So they plug in these numbers. Now, the problem that I run into is once you select the product, you are disappointed that you had in your head, let's say the contract is $50,000, and all of a sudden you're picking product that is twice what they had put in the allowance. Well, that $50,000 just grew, and it could grow in a couple of different ways. For instance, tile, they're going to give an allowance for the material. They're going to give an allowance for installation. Well, it costs more per square foot to install stone or natural tile than it does porcelain or ceramic tile, simply because stone variations need to be gone through. There's another step in sealing. They're softer. There's all sorts of issues. So if you were given an allowance number, I'm going to bet everything that it was for a ceramic or porcelain tile. So you go out and pick a stone tile. So now your allowance for the material is off and now your allowance 
before the installation is off. And you see, it just slowly ticks up the bottom line. And I want you to be prepared for this. Now, here's the thing. You can't avoid the term allowance and the dollars that they're going to allocate to it. What you can do is some advanced research. And I know I've spoken to you all about this before, but if you do advanced research and you know that you have fallen in love with Carrera tile and that's what you're going to use in your bathroom, then you immediately, upon interviewing, when you're hiring the guy, you say, I'm going to use Carrera tile. Let's go find a decent square footage price because it will vary from vendor to vendor, but not in a huge amount than if he had applied an allowance number for a ceramic, for instance. And then guess what? Your installation costs will be right on the money because he's going to tell his installer, we're using Carrera stone price accordingly. So all of the research you can be doing in advance will allow you to have a firmer and more accurate number when you're getting and reading these contracts. And why is that important? Because you are going to put some extra money aside. You know I talk about that, but it may not be enough, or you may run into a surprise and need that extra cash in order to fix something hidden in the walls that nobody predicted. Or like I've run across in some projects, if you have a partner, that partner says, hey, look, there's an allowance number. Go find something that fits inside that number. And then you have gone to all of this length of saving money, planning, and dreaming, and you might be compromising in order to fit inside the budget that was created from a formula. And again, nothing to do with you, your project, or your dream. So it is really critical. I mean, if you're holding a contract right now, or if you're holding several contracts right now, I literally want you to hit pause, go look at them with a highlighter and highlight any word that says allowance, then go back to it and say, how can I fine tune this? So I know where I really am. And again, like this contract, this was an interesting one. I actually haven't seen this before, which made me a little more nervous than the word allowance. They had plumbing fixtures. They had listed out bathtub, two sinks, two faucets, shower set, tub filler, you know, the basics. And then there was this random number, like a four digit number. And I looked at the client, I said, did you pre-select these? And she goes, no, we haven't looked at fixtures yet. I, I want to go do that with you. And I said, well, where'd they get this number from? It wasn't a round number. It wasn't 6,000, 4,000. It was, I can't even remember what it was. It was like 4238 or something like totally random. And she goes, oh, I, I don't know where they got that number. So to be honest, that bothered me more because I'm thinking, are they pre-selecting fixtures for her? Do they know what kind of tub she wants? Do they know what type of faucets? I mean, good Lord, if anyone's looked in the faucet world, you know, you can get a faucet for $100 and you know, you can get a faucet for $800. So that one was highlighted twice, actually, because I was really kind of annoyed by that one because that is, I'd much actually rather see an allowance, which, you know, I hate than something pre-selected because it implies that that's a firm number. And until those fixtures are selected, it couldn't possibly be a firm number. But here's the thing. The client was like, oh, I hadn't noticed that. And this is why I'm talking about this today. You need to be noticing every line on your contract. And yes, they are incredibly boring and sometimes very hard to understand, which is why you need to write your list of questions 
as you're reading it saying, I don't understand this, you know, item 14, line three, what does this mean? And whether that's through highlighting and you physically go over the document in person or whether you email them with all of your list of questions, it is critical. Let me repeat, it is critical to fully understand what is in your contract and what's not in your contract. So this is something that an interior designer managing the renovation project will do first. You always go through the contract, figure out what's there, what's not there, where are there allowances, what you can do to firm up those numbers, and then get the client to help select things in advance. Or as a homeowner, you will be doing this on your own. And it is not impossible to do. It's just important to do. And I know some people sort of skip over the last part of a contract because their eyes are glazing over and they think this guy's legit. I know he's not taking advantage of me. I think it's all good. Hear me when I say this contractor that I was reviewing the contract for is legit and he is not trying to take advantage of this client. However, the client doesn't fully know what she's committing to. So there is still a problem. So I am not implying that they're trying to gouge a client. Now, I did think this contract was a little high for the scope of work, but again, there's some timing involved that's really important. And sometimes you pay a little more to get something when you want it. But that doesn't mean that we don't need to fully understand the rest of the contract. It's just good business. It is just an important part of managing a smooth renovation project so that you are walking in, eyes open, what you need to do, what you're paying for, what you're not paying for, and everything in between. So I know this is by no means a sexy topic. I get it. But it is a really important one. And it's important to do it in the beginning before the project starts. I have had clients call me mid-project, mid-stream, when they seriously feel overwhelmed. One client said, I feel like I have been designed into a corner because he had no other option than to blow his budget because he didn't realize how low his allowances were in advance. And he said to me, you know, Renee, they're a high-end company. I assumed they knew I'd put high-end products in my home. And I said, the problem is you can't assume anything. Now, was he wrong? Should he be able to have a baseline assumption? In my personal opinion, yes, absolutely. And I do fault contractors for that. But do you know what the contractors say to me? They said, look, Renee, I know I'm getting bid out. I know I'm getting bid against other local guys. And if I put in higher numbers than the allowance formulas that they're using, I likely won't get the job simply because my numbers won't match. Now, is that a good excuse? No, absolutely not. I think you always put your best number forward, what you think will actually be going into the project. But do I understand why he does it? Yes, unfortunately, I do. And there's a running joke amongst my contractors that I am one day, and I still should do this, I'm going to hire a party bus, right? A big, fancy bus. I'm going to put all the top guys in a bus all at one time. They know each other anyway, but it'd be fun to sort of spend the day together. And we literally will go to Ferguson's Plumbing Supply and I will show them, okay, guys, see this whole left side of the you know, wall that has the lower end product? Nope, not going there. None of your clients are going to use any of that. 
Let's go over to this side and show them the difference in price and have them agree that they will all use a formula that actually makes sense for the bills that they're doing. Now, I have said this to contractors and they're like, yeah, call me when you figure that out. And I probably should just do it. But honestly, I don't think any of them would ever show up because they none of them want to change their process. So it's up to you to advocate for yourself, change the process on your own project and make sure you understand every last detail of that contract before you sign it and give a deposit. So again, you can hear I get really worked up about this. I don't like people going blindly into projects. It leads to headaches, stress, and money issues. And nobody wants that. You really, truly want as smooth a project as possible, and money plays a very large role in it. Makes sense, right? So as always, please send me your questions. I know this can be a hot topic where people are very confused. I am happy to field questions about your own contracts, see what's what, what you can advocate for on your own. And designers, feel free to reach out to me as well with your clients' contracts. I would much rather see you guide them in the right direction than be caught playing catch up and trying to stay ahead of it. It just is not a winning solution. So you know how to find me. You can send me a DM at Davinia Design on social media. You can shoot me an email. I am always open to help anyone manage a project more smoothly because we all win in the end when a project ends and you feel successful. Thank you again for your time. And I look forward to our next time together. Thank you for listening today and feel free to join me on social media at Davinia Design in order to stay up to date on the latest happenings in my construction world. There is more detailed information on my website for my signature courses for both homeowners and designers, as well as other material to help guide you through a successful renovation project. Make sure to follow my podcast so that you get notifications of new episodes so you don't miss a tip. If you enjoyed this episode, spread the word, leave a review and tell your friends who are starting or are mid project. And thank you again for listening today.